thanks for joining On Death, a podcast to explore the oftentimes taboo topics of death and dying and grief. We want to offer people a place to gather and to listen to others around their experience with death and dying. We really aim to encourage and support healthy relationships on death and to move from a culture mostly of, of death denial to a community you know, focused on being able to, to live alive. So thanks for joining us. My name is Matthew and Tom is with me today and would love to have him do the introduction for our guest today. Yeah, thank you. So um, also with us today, we've got Paul Kuhn who is a sound practitioner, a yogi, a teacher. His mission is to support others in remembering their innate divinity and discovering their unique purpose in the world. Paul's approach to this is multidisciplinary, which I've been witness to myself in so many different ways. And he draws from his ongoing study of sound, uh, yogic practices, Eastern contemplative traditions, the gene keys, alchemy, and Amazonian shamanic practice. In his work, he applies the tools and practices from these bodies of wisdom to empower clients to realize their inner transformation. And he certainly has done a lot of that for me. Uh, when he's not studying on himself, you can find him playing music, teaching transmutation, offering gene key readings and leading programs through Seven Senses, which is a holistic transformation movement built together with his partner and good friend of mine, Dr. Eric Matluck. So Paul, thank you so much for being here. Thanks, and, guys. Uh, it's great to be here. Yeah. Can't wait to, to hear your thoughts here. Just hearing you, Tom, read his uh, bio and, and go through the list, it's like, whew, are we going to have enough enough time? <laughs> where, do, where do we start today? Yeah, it's going to be a – I mean, I, I think the beauty of Paul here is that we can kind of start anywhere and we can jump right in. Um, and – yeah, I um, I first I think I want to start with Paul. What is um, what's your relationship with with death personally? Uh, can you guys hear me? I just want to make sure that you can because you're you're cutting out a little bit. So hmm. I want to make sure on my end it's clear. So let me know if it's not. What is my relationship with death? Um, and that's a big question. Um, at this moment, it's very intimate. Uh, the last year has been quite a quite a journey for me. Um, I lost two very important men in my life in a period of six months, including my father. So, and I lost my father about a month ago. So, it's it's very present at the moment with me. Um, I think my relationship in this moment with death is currently one of acceptance and. Um, you know, it's something in myself that not physical death, but the, the death of this idea of the death of the parts of myself that I am attached to and that I hold on to that actually keep me small and limited. I've been exploring that in myself for many years, but, you know, the added layer of the actual physical experience of it has, is now something that's really become very poignantly present for me. And, uh, it, you know, it's really shifted. I'm, 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 I lost my father and another mentor and simultaneously I'm becoming a father. 
there's a there's a beautiful poetry and balance in the two things happening overlapping and happening simultaneously so i think what it's done for me recently this this ongoing contemplation of my mortality is made me present to what's really important for myself and it's really created a laser focus and a, a falling away of I, I guess what I what I regard as now inessential, and that's that's obviously changing as I change, but that feels like what's really coming to focus, mm. and uh, this this idea of wasting time, um, you know the human the human idea of wasting time, um, but I think that's that's where I stand. I mean, I could I could talk about it for a really long time, but that's the short answer. Hey right Paul, yeah. if it's okay, can can you share those two men, um, their names for us? Absolutely. So the first man, his name is Rodrigo Nino, and he was. Um, I worked with him for a few years, and he was a very, very close, dear friend, mentor. He was my boss. He was like a little brother and an older brother and a father. He was. Uh, he was a really wonderful visionary man, and uh, he passed in May of cancer. And then three days after he passed, I got word that my father was diagnosed with stage four lung cancer, the exact type of cancer that Rodrigo died from. And um, so my father, Paul Kuhn, um, same, same name, yeah, he passed on November 7th, so exactly two months ago today. Hmm. I'm just feeling all of that in my body. Like it's um, losing mentors, losing parents. Um, and you you were witness to to both pretty intimately. Yes, via, via Zoom and just my connection with Rodrigo because it was during the lockdown. Mm-hmm. And we were in different places. And then I was home with my father while he was in hospice and passed. I was with him when he passed. So... Uh, very intimately, I guess you can mm. say. And what, one of the things that you you were, were talking about, which I find really interesting, when when so many of us um, have some some spiritual practice, right? Mm-hmm. There's so much of the practice of of dying, right? The practice of like shedding your ego, and even having these conversations of of actually dying but there's such a difference and i'm sure you can speak about this of doing that work of like the ego death or you know things in your life dying but to to have people you know actually drop their bodies and leave is such a a different experience than that and i'm wondering if you felt um I don't want to say supported from the other practice, but how how could that you know hold, hold you th- through this time and, and really being able to show up? I imagine for your for your father's death, you were with him, so really mm-hmm. fully in that moment to like support him in his dying process. Yeah, I I, I think that the unfolding of I, of self understanding through the various practices in the work that I'm drawn to in, in myself. I, I think that the, the biggest lesson it's taught me is to learn to be comfortable in discomfort 
And mm. the most uncomfortable thing, I mean, we spend so much of our life denying life um, because we want it to be a different way. We we don't like how something feels. So we, we try to build we try to build structures around us, whether they're ideas or physical structures or safety through money, whatever it is, to make us feel comfortable. And I think what it's what it's taught, those practices have taught me that it led me into being able to sit in the discomfort of watching a parent die, I think is that I'm comfortable being uncomfortable now. I'm comfortable mm. in the emotions that I used to label as hard or bad or sad or difficult. Those to me are just another ex- expression and movement of energy. So I, I don't know. I think that sitting in that in myself for so long and, and I guess in a way integrating it has, has prepared me for the experience I just went through that, I guess that portal I went through with my dad. And what was interesting is as he was, as he was passing, it was beautiful because he, 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 he said everything he needed to say to all the important people. And it was, it was really, really spectacular. And what I found my role to be, there were a lot of people coming and going and my role was to just sit with him because it didn't make me uncomfortable to be with someone who was passing. And I, I was surpri- I was actually surprised by the degree of my comfort in that, in that moment. Um, but I, I attribute it to the fact that I'm constantly trying to not force it, but I, I'm so curious of my true nature that it leads me into places where I find myself in, in uncomfortable places in my own being. And I think a few years ago, it would have been a lot harder mm. to, to sit with him as a result of that. Mm. I, don't well, know I, ask, I don't know if I answered your question. No, no, <laughs> totally. I, I love this. I'm, I'm curious a little bit about, about your father and, and, um, cause it sounds Did like you say he, about my, about my father. Yeah, about your father, because it sounded like, like you said, he said all of the things that he needed to say. So he, it sounded like he had a, a pretty, a pretty good death, right? What, whatever that means. So I'm not talking about like, you know, the the process of dying, right? Which could be gnarly in its own right, but um, having some peace when 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 he was passing, or yeah. Um... It was really beautiful. I mean, I mean, my my father was a he li- he lived big, and he was an adventurer. He was a sailor, and he had he had a lot of joy in his life. And you know, I think that he and my mother had a had a had a very challenging divorce. It lasted five years, and there was a lot unresolved in that. It wasn't it wasn't bad, but it was just a hard time. And I don't think that a lot, there was a lot that was left unresolved in all of us, my sister, my mother, and my father. And when he got sick, uh, it was so beautiful because my sister lives near him. And I don't know if she wants me to tell the story, but I'll tell it anyway. Um, she, she had this, she was the one who was taking him to his chemo appointments and, and all of those types of experiences. And it was so wonderful to watch how having that space and time together after all they'd been through, it just, they got so real with each other. And 
they they like they reconnected and saw each other again in a way that you know they probably hadn't seen each other since she was 16 and so that just led to this natural you know unfolding of acknowledgement of things that had happened of stating what was true and how they each other had felt about certain things and really it's getting to know each other so that they got a beautiful healing out of that and then myself and my dad i'm like i i mentioned a a moment ago that i I tend to like to go into uncomfortable places in myself so i would do that i do that in my relationships as well and so he and i were in a pretty good spot um in terms of kind of healing the the unresolved stuff between us. So it was more so that with him and I, you know, in his last few days, I, I'm, I'm moving into becoming a father and I got to be his father for a week before he passed, which was so spectacular and healing and beautiful for me. And, and then with my mother, which was, this was the most magnificent, um, you know, she, she came over and saw him before he passed and it was really hard. And then about three days, uh, three days after he passed, the day of his funeral, I have this psychic that I talk to on occasion. She's actually just a good, become a good friend. And I, I just love to talk to her. And she's profoundly accurate in the things she says. And I got on the phone with her and, and I didn't remember that I had scheduled this appointment. I got a notification saying, hey, you have this appointment at 10 a.m. Uh, um, Wednesday, November 7th, two hours before my father's funeral. And she gets on, I don't say anything. And she just starts saying, there's a really strong male energy around you. What's going on with your father? And I shared that he had passed and she spent 25 minutes giving very distinct, specific messages to different members in my family. Hmm. And the most important one was for my mother. He said basically in that message, all, all the things that he couldn't say fully when he was alive. And when she when she heard it, it just she wept and it triggered such peace. And so I feel that in his action, what it seems that he got very clear on what was important in those last few months of his life. And he was able to face and make peace with his own guilt and forgive himself. And as a result, he was able to speak to you know, what was important. And then it was his family and the family that had been quote unquote, I guess, broken through divorce. None of that shit mattered anymore. So it was really awesome actually. Wow. (laughs) I just want to say, as you're telling that story, um, I had like goosebumps the whole time and, you know, shit, I, I love this man. And just even you, being able to say things like beauty in the same sentence of dying is, mm-hmm. is such a, it's such a monumental thing that we need, we need to think about. And, you know, that's why we're having these conversations because so often, you know, even how like talking to someone about dying, it, it can be, like you said, really uncomfortable and, what do we do is we need to sit with the uncomfortableness um, because like we know we're all going to experience death one way or the other and to have some peace with it is, I mean, sounds like 
your your father's uh, passing is you know as tragic it is to to lose a loved one is really brought a lot of you know healing and peace to to your family and yeah um, yeah that's what stands out to me is is um, I was thinking about what it's like to be next to someone who's who's dying and um, not even a parent just you know a friend or a loved one and and feeling the combination of all the different feelings the sorrow the joy the anger all of it just processing through and really the only word to come out of that is is beautiful it's beautiful to be able to experience all of this as humans and so i wonder paul when you were being your father's father um what did that teach you Hmm. i don't know i just i I think what it taught me is what it really means to be present with somebody you know um we often mistake I i feel like i in my past have often mistaked um my my veiled desires as presence so like me having a desire for an outcome mm. as uh, that wasn't presence that was my, that was an agenda that was being present to hearing what i want to hear or creating a situation that i want to create which there's a place for that but i think in these in those last days and even the last month as i we knew it was coming it was more just about how can i just be a loving presence. And I think that that I, I suspect I'm not a parent yet, but I suspect that being a loving presence is one of the most important things we can do for our children. So I feel like that was big. And then just the desire to to alleviate suffering for for him during that time. I imagine that's going to be greatly amplified when I'm a parent <laughs> by the littlest things, you know, Um so, yeah, and I, I also feel that what it instilled in me is the thing that I hope that my child, I'll do my best not to project all of my shit onto my child, but um, I hope that they'll be able to learn that that pain and sadness and the things that we tend to label as negative are, are equally as important and beautiful in the human experience. And they can learn to be, they can find their strength in those places early in their lives. So they don't spend their rides, lives, their early parts of their lives running from it and therefore have to then heal it later. Mm. <laughs> I'm hoping yeah. that they can just, I'm hoping that they can just Im- learn to embrace that at a very early age, which means the fullness of expression of our emotions and the allowance of them and then the non-denying of things that we we label as hard, like death. Like death has so many connotations around it. I mean, especially in the West. I mean, we were in a funeral home. What a weird experience afterwards. They're, they're such strange experiences. The idea of putting somebody in a box and putting them in the ground, I, I, I personally, I mean, everyone has their own definition of what, what the right ritual is. To me, that just makes absolutely no sense because there's a, um, they're not there anymore. <laughs> mm. uh, it's it's like it's like putting dirt in a box. 
yeah. don't know. It was weird. So, I mean, the, even the rituals around it, which is our ritual of trying to hold on to a piece of them. It's a lack of, to me, that's the putting somebody in a box and putting them in the ground is a lack of our acceptance of death as opposed to an honoring of them. It's literally yeah. putting them in a box as, as a human. <laughs> You're putting, right. you're putting them in a box. Let's keep you limited in this form. <laughs> 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 Metaphorically, we're going to limit you. Um, Man, I just, and when you were talking about your kids learning these lessons at a young age, I just imagined you like taking away your kid's candy and being like, isn't it beautiful? Isn't it beautiful? <laughs> this, this sadness you're feeling right now. <laughs> <laughs> you, and you, and you saying that about, you know, your, having all of those emotions on the, on the spectrum. Uh, I was reminded of um, being with a friend of mine and, and her little girl. And she, you know, had this moment of like outburst where she was, you know, kicking the kicking and, you know, being angry. And it was really sweet to see the mom just like identify that there was anger there and it was okay to be angry. And again, not to deny any of these emotions and, Part of my my practice, you know, Paul. I know that you you use music a lot. I one of my main practices is um, is singing and, and playing uh, instruments and, and chanting, and and sometimes in in the practice of of bhakti yoga, mm -hmm. you might do the same chant for who knows, 15 minutes and 20 minutes. And there's all these different layers of emotions that come up and we never like to like push them away and say, no, no, no. I only want the quote unquote good ones. It's like, if something creeps in, that's uncomfortable. It's like, Oh, let's, let's, let's see what's going on there. It's not going to last very long, especially if you're chanting, you're usually um, back to the mantra in a moment anyway. Um, I'm a little curious how during this 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 time of you losing um, these two men in your life and the month or so afterwards, like what what is your like what's your practice been been looking like these days? Strangely, about a week before my father's uh, diagnosis, I'm, I'm I'm a yogi. I do a lot of yoga, um, and I woke up. I, I've been progressively breaking. My body's been breaking down for the last six months in a strange way that it never has before. First, it was my right knee. And then I woke up in the middle of the night with my arms above my head and they were asleep. And I tried to lift my arm and something pulled or something here. And it kept getting worse and worse and worse. And then when I, about a week later, I found out that my father was dying. And as I began to process the grief, it started to heal. It was almost an unconscious something was it felt that I mean, this is a story I'm creating, but it felt as if there was a connection. And so what it, it limited me from doing the things I normally do to change my state. And, um, that was interesting. And so, you know, I think the thing that's been really therapeutic for me in this time, I meditation has obviously been one and some pranayam, but I am a musician and I play guitar is my primary instrument. And, you know, I've played for almost 30 years and I always identify as someone who did not sing. It's just a, an idea that I created at a very young age that I was not a singer. And so 
I, I've chanted mantra and things like that, but this idea of singing creatively and I, I'm a very melodic player and, uh, and I, and I improvise quite a bit, but the idea of being able to use my voice to do that was off limits in the last year, this the 2020, really, my voice has really come online. So I think the, in the last month, it's really been singing, singing and playing and, What's opened in me is is been really beautiful, and I also tr- I also train in a in a shamanic tradition called the Shipibo tradition, and they sing they sing chants called Ikaros, and um, that's a whole another that's a whole another podcast I think, but um, these they're 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 essentially they're ch- they're chants similar to a Vedic chant, and they 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 elicit certain f- forms and meanings within the psyche, and. Interestingly, those have been my as my voice is opened, that's opened, and then my creativity on my guitar. I've been spending hours playing guitar. I think that's been the most therapeutic thing. And I haven't been able to do yoga. And so only since getting to Kauai has my about three days ago have I started doing yoga again. And so I think I think just being present with my my family and and playing have been the best medicine and also not rushing the process. You know, it's, I'm in a state of acceptance now, but grief is weird in the sense that it, it comes, it's, it's imagine standing at on the shore of the ocean. You're standing like in the, in the late, the small waves are lapping at your feet and you turn towards the shore and you're watching all the things happening. And there's people playing on the beach. The world is un- happening. And then suddenly from behind a giant wave crashes over you. That's how I think of grief. Um, because it's so surprising the way it comes. And, uh, <laughs> so, as the rooster just screams in the back, the rooster just validates what I'm saying. <laughs> um, <laughs> Yeah. So I think that that's been, that's been good. And, you know, just breathing really. (laughs) Yeah. Well, Tom, I feel like you want to say something. I'd love to hop in here and just comment. Like, I I mean, I, I love all of what you're saying and, and as someone who also moves a lot and, we, we, we also become like attached to our movement in a certain way because we can find freedom in there, right? And also someone who never gave themselves permission to be a singer, be a musician, I can play things, but how do I use my voice to, to be an instrument mm-hmm. too is, has been this recent development over the past you know, handful of years. And it, the, the story you're telling me about, like finding yourself unable to do certain things, it reminds me of a, a story um, that I heard about Ramdas. And, you know, in Ramdas's lineage, a, a lot of the people sing the Hanuman Chalisa. And it's a really long prayer to, yeah. uh, to Hanuman. And it's really cool. I listen to it every day. I've learned one shloka. I'm like committed this year to learning it. And we'll see how far I get. And I remember talking to someone actually when I was out in Maui, um, one of the the caretakers of of uh, the the grounds in which Ramdas was then living on. And I, I was telling, I, I don't know the Hanuman Chalisa because everyone there, you know, not everyone, but a lot of people really like to sing that. And he, he said something like, you know, Ramdas knew it once. 
but he doesn't anymore. You know, because he was at the time. You know, this was the year or so before he he ended up dying, and you know, even even a practice like singing eventually you know, the words might not even be there anymore. And maybe it is just sitting with your breath and doing one mantra or, you know, just following your breath. So interesting to see how our practices change over time. And Mm. as yogis, we need to be like mobile, not just with our bodies, but with our practice itself, right? Instead of being really attached to a certain practice, well, you may not have that practice one day. Mm Mm-hmm. I totally agree. I mean, as I see Neem Karoli Baba at the top of your head, uh, like (laughs) whispering into your whispering into your crown. Um, You know, I agree with you. And it's been interesting in in my path. This I'm rooted mostly in Buddhism. And that's like really over the root of my my teaching lies and the the idea of non-attachment. And so witnessing myself as I've gone deeper into the yoga path, becoming attached to my practices and how much of a trap yoga can be in one sense, because <laughs> we're not I, we're not here really to be yogis. Yo, it's like a trend uh, to me. It's the it's the raft to the other shore, as opposed. Mm. And Buddha said something. I'm going to paraphrase horribly, but something along the lines of I've 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 given you a raft. The problem is most of you will mistake the raft for the shore, and I think that. That to me is the best definition of the journey of this process is that all these tools we have, it's really easy to, 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 to put them on as the new shinier spiritual persona, but that's not the point. I mean, if, if, if people, if people can find it through cooking or through walking down the street or through hanging out with their family or knitting, God bless them. They don't need to meditate with a straight spine. Uh, you know, it's like that's that's an totally. illusion. And yeah. so I love that you said that because you're so right. Yeah. Go ahead, go ahead Tom. I was thinking of um, Alan Watts talking about Ram Dass and him saying, uh, sitting at a bar with him and saying, you know what your problem is? You're obsessed with (laughs) non-attachment. You're obsessed with what? Sorry. Not (laughs) non-attachment. Totally. Yeah. Um, I think like, uh, I mean, you have obviously Paul, you have so much of a practice behind you and that's always changing. That's evolving. Um, And you've had a lot that have, that has kept you going through this and allowing you space to process and grief. Um, what do you say to, what would you say to people right now who are kind of like, fuck you, man, like good for you that you got, that you got through this with all your skills, but, but I just can't do that. It's too scary for me or it's too hard for me. Um, well, I think there's two levels to that answer. There's a first level of, I've been that person that said that thing to other people and and I've had that judgment and, you know, so there's an honoring of being in that place and how hard it is. I mean, listen, right now I'm in a, I'm in a really blessed place and I know that, that tomorrow that could disappear. And I know that I'm privileged. I know all of these things. And so it's, it's to someone who would say that to me, I, I want to honor where they are. 
and have compassion for where they are. And there's the also thing that like you can be in that space, but you have to take responsibility for yourself in this world. And the reason I have tools is because I had to go through a really, really shitty, long, dark night of my soul that in a place where it was really hard and deep. And, and I'm not, I haven't arrived anywhere. And that's, there's, there's no arrival point that, that to me, that's an illusion, but it's, it's starting to like notice where your judgments are notice where you lash out at people. All that stuff is our unconscious shadow that we haven't resolved. And it's not, and it's nothing wrong with it. It's that's, that's the stuff that's going to cause That's going to lead to our healing. If we can just acknowledge it, if we can just own it, if we can, if we're angry, be angry, but don't project it. If you're, if you feel that, you know, someone has something that you don't and you're, you're angry with that about how unfair that is on some level, that's true. And on some level it's not. So what, what about how, what can you change in yourself so that you can be more accepting of your own situation instead of looking outward at all of the other things that are wrong with the world or that are wrong with how, what other people are doing with their lives. And I think that we have, we're in this, we're in this really strange environment right now where we're spending so much time projecting onto everybody else, um, everything that's wrong. There's this other, like the, 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 the evil other, I feel like is so strong in our psyche right now. And it's always been there, but that evil other is, is your, is you, <laughs> it's your, un, it's your unprocessed shit. Whatever triggers you is, is, is you. If it was resolved inside of you, you wouldn't be triggered. And so I don't say that to say that like people don't do things wrong and they shouldn't be held accountable. Of course they should. And there is horrible inequality and there are, there's a, it's, it's rampant, but we need to heal that in ourselves before we can go out and heal in the world. And I feel like we're, we're if we try to heal things from our wound in the world, we're just going to create more problems. And so to that person, I would offer compassion and uh, an ear to listen. And, and I would say, you know, how can I support you? And, and I just think it's that simple. And if they don't want my support, that's fine, but I'll be here to support them when they, when they do want it. And I, I think that the thing I've had to learn in myself, I mean, my, my two biggest wounds in my life have been repression and denial. And so what I hear when in that example you gave is I hear denial of where there's blame, there's always denial of your piece in it. So when you point and project onto someone else and say, it's your fault, you did this, there is a small part of you that can take responsibility for showing up in a different way to see what's being reflected in myself. And that's not to say what the other person's doing is not wrong. But if you make it all about them, you miss your opportunity to heal and to step into a place where you could be resourced. Mm-hmm. So I don't know if that answered it, but that's my perspective. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It reminded me of, um, you know, you and I, I think our first encounter, I think was actually in Scotland at a friend's wedding. And, um, and then we just kind of brushed paths here and there along the way. And, um, without having any real conversation, um, you came up to me once at, uh, at Nyla's house and you said, uh, I, w- I had a, just had a conversation with somebody and I walked to the kitchen to get a glass of water and you came up and I turned around and you were just standing there and I was like, Oh, and you said, uh, Hey man, um, 
I'm really familiar with the Dark Knight of the Soul if you ever want to talk. And it scared the shit out of me. I was like, <laughs> oh, my God, this guy sees through me so hard. And then I just avoided you for like a year. <laughs> <laughs> was that the that was the first thing he's ever said to you? We had like you know a few casual <laughs> casual exchanges here and there, but like that was really like the first time that he ever like approached me on a on like a on a person to person level. Jeez, Paul, I'm a little I'm a little more subtle than these days. <laughs> I was gonna say it's, 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 it's not the impression that I get so much, um, but hey, something I, worked. I, I have my moments when that occurs. But you know what happened though was that when I was ready, you know, I came back and I and I, I and I talked to you and you know and we've we've been buds since. But um, it was accepting that that part of me that was ready, the the you know I had to be ready for it. Um, and uh, yeah, and and I thank you for for bringing that to to my presence. It's a powerful moment. I, uh, man, I, I, I feel like we can go on a little bit, but, um, do you, Paul, do you have anything, um, coming up, like any sort of training or anything that you want to want to give a shout out to before we, we start tying up, um, tying yeah, up this, sure. this little talk. So my, my partner, Erica and I, we, we have a, 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 I don't even know how to describe it, but it's called Seven Senses, and it's um, a variety of different programs we do. She's a, she's a doctor, and um, and I all the things that we've mentioned before, and we we have a methodology that we've created to help people become more aware of themselves, and we use the lens of the chakras or the, as the different archetypal levels of the self. And so it's a new program that we're launching starting on January 17th. It's called Shadow into Light. And it's about looking at, it's a seven-week series about looking at the different wounding patterns that are mostly unconscious within us that that keep us from really seeing ourselves for who we are. And it's it's a journey upward into the different, in, from the lower to the higher chakras. And it's a it's a holistic practice that blends the physical, the mental, the emotional, and spiritual. Really deep breath work, and um, it's a really beautiful journey. And so we're we're doing that from from here in Hawaii, starting on January seventeenth. And then the other thing is, I, I work really deeply in a system called the Gene Keys, which is based on the I Ching, and it's again it's an archetypal system, and it's it's really a wonderful way a really contemplative way to start to come into contact through language and through study and just through the, the act of asking questions for parts of the psyche we can't often see that are just outside of our conscious awareness. And in the process of going through that contemplation process, we begin to see ourselves in a different way. And so I, I lead people through working with their own personal charts. And um, if anyone just wants to reach out to talk, I'm here. Awesome. Yeah, I think I think I'm gonna come and uh, talk. <laughs> you, you might get a call from me, Paul. Cool, man. <laughs> yeah, let's let's keep this conversation. I mean, I'm I'm really excited. Tom brought you up, and we got you like as soon as you got settled out in Hawaii. Um, we we like to ask if anyone has anything they want to share, like a, a a poem or a writing. 
Um, and I also, because you did just talk about music and singing, I just spontaneously feel free to say no. If you would like to play a song and sing, I'll throw that on the table as well. Well, I don't have my guitar. Ah. It's downstairs. I, I, so I don't think I'll do that today. <laughs> That's cool. I'm, lo- I'm looking it up right now because I don't have it cool. memorized. Okay. Okay, so this is a wonderful poem by... He's a British mystic. He died in 2013. His name is Stuart Wilde. And it's called The Hand. All right, so most blessed is the hand outstretched in friendship. Most blessed is the hand extended over a shoulder in comfort and support. Most blessed is the hand that toils for our food. Most blessed is the hand that feeds the children. Most blessed is the hand that writes the poems of love. Most blessed is the hand that plays music to comfort our soul. Most blessed is the hand raised to block a tyrant. Most blessed is the hand that protects us in times of trouble. Most blessed are the hands joined in reverence and prayer. Most blessed are the hands cupped to drink from the waters of life. And all these hands are part of a greater hand, are they not? The hand of God. Hmm. Wow, thank you. Love it. Paul. Thank you. Love hearing this story. I, I really appreciate you you giving us some some time and you know, like I said, hearing the words beautiful and, and death and dying and you know the story of 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 your father and your process and his process through this whole thing. And then just having the bird song in the backgrounds. I, I couldn't think for a better uh, mm. soundtrack, especially for someone who's a a musician so thank you very much all the love very appreciated thank you so much guys this was really fun it feels good to talk about my recent journey so yeah. i appreciate it and it's great to meet you matthew i can't wait to be friends yeah we'll have to link up on social media or something totally thank cool. you gentlemen oh thank you so much bud mm-hmm.